First Corinthians chapter. Let's turn our Bibles, please, this evening to First Corinthians chapter thirteen. First Corinthians thirteen. And uh, before we get into the message, just a quick update. Um, been chatting with our deacons and just uh, just asking them to pray about where their heart is as far as going forward, and they've all just uh, indicated to me that they'd like to um, to be on a bit of a transition to to vacate the office of deacon. And so I wanted to let the church know that that the the three men have in just in their prayer and in their own um, just just walk with the Lord and understanding what God's will is for them, they're, they're wanting to vacate those offices. But we're not going to do that suddenly. We're going to do that as a church um, through a, a, a transition time. And so I'd just, at this point, just ask you to pray as a church about that. That's really, that's really God's method as far as his choosing, is that the church would pray and fast. And so it, upon my return in the next couple of weeks, weeks, we'll talk a little bit about what a deacon is and all of that, and then I'll also articulate to you all what the process of choosing is for, for us as a church. And so I'm thankful that, you know, in the interim, the, the deacons will continue on and just continue to serve the, the church and serve alongside me, um, but there will be a point at, uh, in the next month or two where we're gonna, they're going to step down formally, and then we're going to vote in um, a new, new set of deacons. So we're looking at um, looking at five deacons to replace the three. And so just begin to pray about that and, and, and then just through the teaching, I guess, um, in the next, next opportunities that we have, I'll, I'll teach through that a little bit, what, what, a, what a deacon is biblically. So I just wanted to let you know that and, you know, get around them and, and obviously just continue to, to lend your support and just pray for the church that we would have unity as we, we seek the Lord out in his, his mind for that. But uh, let's all stand, actually, stretch our legs a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll just uh, begin reading in verse 1. We'll read down to verse 8. And we're going to talk a little bit this evening about charity. And in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And notice verse 8, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to open your word once again this evening. Thank you for, Lord, how you're, you're working in our lives, and thank you, dear God, that we get to, uh, Lord, have the privilege to gather again this evening. We're glad for your word, and understand, dear God, the importance of it. And so I pray that you'd help us to listen in tonight as we, Lord, just uh, just look at a very 
very important topic, Lord God, and I pray that you just help us then to observe it in our lives and to grow in it. Pray that you just be magnified as, as your word is preached this evening. Blessed to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. Appreciate you standing. And, you know, I think sometimes, uh, sometimes we, we, we sort of approach something and sometimes the, the, the answer to it or the, the expectation of it isn't the same as what we think. And, you know, today we were just out this afternoon and um, we, were, we were just working with a guy about a thing and he had mentioned that he had Googled me. Any, anyone ever been Googled? Everyone, any, anyone admit that they Google themselves? Anyone brave enough to do that? But um, so this fella apparently had Googled me and he had seen the, the messages and he said, oh, you know, you know, I saw videos of you in Sydney and videos of you here in Brisbane and all of this and and uh, now you're going to Google me tonight, don't do that, all right? But um, this guy had evidently Googled me, and he, he knew I was a pastor, but that's about it. And um, he said, you know, I, I was really, it was a real, it was really interesting. And I said, oh, you know, I'm thinking, what's he going to say? And I'm thinking, you know, he's going to say, wow, you're, you're a good preacher, or wow, you've, you preach a lot and too long sometimes, or, you know, whatever the case might be, but... He goes, you know what, I, there's just something I need to tell you. He goes, has anyone ever told you, you sound like The Rock? <laughs> and half of, you, half of you laugh because only half of you know who The Rock is. But don't Google him either, all right, if you don't know. But he said, do, you, do you ever, anyone ever tell I said, no. <laughs> you know, that's what happens. You shave a little bit and then suddenly you get mistaken for The Rock. But... <laughs> Not the look, the voice, all right? Don't lose me here this evening. Don't lose me here this evening. But, um, but you sort of have that expectation. He's going to say something else. And then there's something else that's actually said. And I think sometimes it's a bit that way with charity. You know, I think sometimes we sort of think, well, I, know, I sort of know what charity is. I mean, charity is a good thing. Even as we read that, obviously... We look at that, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and, and generally speaking, when we think about charity, it's all of these benevolent acts. You know, we have charities all around us for all different causes. You, you'll see ribbons, you'll see different ways of fundraising toward regarding charity. And sometimes we sort of can box in and sort of pigeonhole charity to be just that. But actually, when you study through the, the Bible and what actually God says about charity, it's, it's something that I think we might have a different perspective from God. Okay, we, we, we seek and desire things that I think sometimes maybe God values in, in a lesser light, but other things that we overvalue that God actually finds a lot more valuable. And I think one of those areas is charity. You know, charity we read there is, is, is something that the Bible says in verse 8 that never fails. And charity is spoken of, of in the New Testament actually as a better way. In fact, the preceding verse to chapter 13, verse 31 of chapter 12, he says there, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And then he says, yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And you know the very next thing that he mentions in chapter 13? The more excellent way is charity. 
He could have said anything. He is God and this is his word. But actually the very next thing that he talks about is this idea of charity. And the whole chapter in chapter 13 is devoted to that thought of charity. You know, I think, again, many times we would hear this passage of scripture and we would relate to it in a, in a marriage sense. When we go to a wedding, it's often a favorite chapter, isn't it? That, that couples will choose to be read out. And, and there's definitely relevance to that. But there's much more. God says it's the excellent way. And often the way we define charity is simply by replacing it with the word love. And, and, and really, when it comes down to it, that is it. But there's a, there's a, there's a greater meaning, I believe, that, that we're going to need to just understand. What charity is, is, is sometimes defined as a love in action. But it's more than that. What charity actually is, is our love actioned one toward another. Charity is a characteristic, in a, actually, in a mature believer. He goes on and he continues this. In verse 11, we're familiar with these verses. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But notice this, but the greatest of these is charity. Some of the greatest things are faith, hope, charity, but out of those three, the greatest is charity. And it's in the context of maturity. We didn't read the verse, but he's speaking about that which is perfect. And it's this process of growing and maturing, and the product of that is actually charity being produced in our lives. That's the product that is the better way, the excellent way, and the greatest and it's a characteristic of mature believers that, that, is, that adds to their faith and is diligently brought to us when we seek to build upon it, upon our faith. So what charity is, it's not just, it's not just love in action. It's not just our, our, our love in action toward one another, but it's, it's, a, it's a perfect love. It's a mature love. And charity is when love has matured to the point that it flows out in every area of our lives. And so what charity is, is charity is perfect love actioned. It's mature. That means that, that there's certain things that we've got to put away in order for this to be a reality in our lives. That means that there's certain childish characteristics that prevent us from becoming charitable, being full of charity. And I just want to talk a little bit this evening about what happens when we're without charity. What happens when that is absent in our lives? What happens when we have a different perspective of it compared to what God sees it and the value that God uh, appoints to it? And, and I want to bring that to you this evening. And so firstly, notice there that the, the context of chapter 13 within the, the greater context of this book is really speaking about our spiritual gifts. It's about those things that God has gifted us so that we are able to then edify or build up the, the rest of the body, the church. And so he's saying here, notice the first three verses. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. If you know the the context here, again, that, that, that gifting of, of, of tongues back in that time was a way that God was using to, 
to communicate and to prove actually the, the, the power that he has in the people there. We know later on he says that it cease, they shall cease. It be tongues, they shall cease. But he's saying even in that scenario where, where you have this gifting, if you do it without charity, you know what he's saying? It's just like sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. You know, uh, you, you, we've witnessed tonight some of the talents of our, of our musicians. They play different instruments, and when they come together, it sounds wonderful. But you imagine if your only talent was to play the triangle. Now, anyone ever heard of a triangle solo? It's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? Why? Because on itself, it's empty. It sort of it, it plays a part, but it's not a it's not it's it only fits in the context of this thing. And he's saying there that this gift, without charity, it's just like that. It's a tinkling cymbal, or it's a sounding brass. You know, the brass instrument is a wonderful. Um, I was just just listening as Matthew had that that accompaniment part in that song. You know, if you really study, if you want to really study what worship instrument is in the Bible, it's the trumpet. And I tried to take up trumpet at one point. I wasn't very good, so I sold it, all right? <laughs> but sorry, my, but on its for nothing, but, you know, but on its own, it could sound an alarm, really, is what it is, right? Armies use it to wake their soldiers or to alarm for a certain thing to pay attention to. But belonging with other instruments, it, it just sounds purposeful. And that's what he's saying, without charity, actually, that particular thing. And he says in verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy, and if you study that out in the context of all of this, he, edif- the, he elevates that gift of prophecy, which really in our day is preaching. It's just foretelling what God has said. That's what prophecy is. But he's saying there that even prophecy, that very thing, and we're listening to some prophesying tonight, preaching, even that very thing, which sometimes we elevate that and we, we ought to in a sense, but we look at that and we see those that have that gifting to be something that God has gifted us with. And he says even that, and even if he understands all mysteries and all knowledge, he says and even if you have faith so that he can remove mountains and have not charity, what does he say? I am nothing. You know, there are many who have the gift of the gab, so to speak. And they can, they can minister the great mysteries of Scripture. And they could impress us and could, in a way, uh, even at times, confound us with the kind of, uh, kind of study and kind of delivery. But if that's done without charity, then the Bible says it's nothing. And, you know, the, the opposite of that is, is that without charity, knowledge puffs up, right? And there are many, many at times who have great knowledge, but they have no charity. And he says, I'm nothing. And then verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, you have the gift of giving. And though I give my body to be burned and have charity, it profiteth me nothing. So even that thing that we, we look at as even the very definition that we just sort of pigeonhole charity to, 
He says, even if you do that without it, then it's nothing. And the point is that without charity, firstly, our spiritual gifts are ineffectual. You know, we could have some of the most gifted people, and there's all of those parables of the talents, how God gives some a certain amount and others a certain amount. But, you know, you could be the most gifted person in this congregation. You could be the most gifted person in the whole of Australia. You could be the, gift, the most gifted person in the whole world. And we have no way of telling that. But if God gave you all of those and you used them, but you did it without charity, then actually it proves to be ineffectual. It proves to be something that just is like that, what we learned, sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And, and he's saying there that charity is a more excellent way. And if you pair that with all of our gifts, then that's when it matters. That's when it's effectual. He said that there in verse 28, God had set some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. And he's asking that all of those different spiritual gifts are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. He's asking, you know, there's a, a, a variety of administrations of gifts. But then he concludes that chapter by saying, covet earnestly the best gifts, but there's a more excellent way. He's saying, without charity, our spiritual gifts are ineffectual. And what it is, is, is what happens is that actually without charity, we're one... We've got to remember we're one of many parts, but what it is, is without charity, we're just playing our own tune. Because a lot of those things we read there, vaunteth not itself, behaves itself un, unseemly, doth not behave itself unseemly. You know what vaunting is? It's boasting of self. It's just where you're just talking about you all the time, and how good you are, and how well you do things, and how well... And that's what vaunting itself means. And he says that doth not behave itself unseemly. What that is, it's behaving inappropriately. And he's saying if you, if charity is the opposite of that. And he's saying you're, you're, being a, you're, being, you're being a soloist when you should actually be one of the many parts. And it's that understanding of that orchestra. You know, that's why music is so important. In the church, that's why we sing to appropriate. That's why the instruments play together. And whilst there's times where there's an appropriate part where there might be a solo piece, there's an understanding that the orchestra comes together. It's a great picture of unity. It's a great picture when all of the parts and all of the different talents and giftings come together and they're used for the common cause. And there's an understanding that no one is more important than the other that actually you come together and there's this beautiful sound that typifies what God wants in the church. And, and that's the, the, the gifts being used effectively. And what I'm saying is that our spiritual gifts are meant to play a part within a bigger picture. There's meant to be harmony produced when we all use our gifts. And so without charity, we're, we're lone instruments playing deaf to others. You know, you, maybe you've ever, have you ever had someone, maybe you're in the choir and the, the goal was, the only reason they were in the choir was so that they can be drowned out, right? They just, they just had the volume 
Maybe they just didn't have the tune, but at least if your choir could sing to that level, then they could at least sing louder, right? But, but sometimes there, there are those that just have no idea about those surrounding them. They're, they're singing away and they're, without even knowing it, they might even be singing their own tune. And we sort of look at that and go, that would be absurd. But you know, when we're, we're serving and we're using our gifts without charity, that's literally what God's seeing and hearing. And we're lone instruments playing deaf to others. And that's why the Bible's careful to tell us in Colossians 3.14, and above all these things put on charity, well, here's what the Bible says, which is the bond of perfectness. It's a bond. It, it, it keeps us together. And without that, we're just lone instruments playing our own tune. And a lack of harmony, perhaps in the church, or a lack of harmony in the home, uh, could, could sometimes mean there's maybe a lacking of charity in different parts. And, and we, we have to just be mindful of that. You know, we have useful gifts, but without charity, it, it just amounts to nothing. You know, all of the gifts that God gives are, are useful. They played their part. Even if it was for a limited time, they played their part. And we all, we all were given spiritual gifts. And if you never really studied that out, never really thought about what are your spiritual gifts, let me give you a couple of chapters. Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All right, easy to remember. Read through it and just discern. You know, when I was... The, I looked after the youth group for a little while in, in my previous pastorate. One of the very first things, we used to have a year seven, grade seven orientation, and I would sit down those grade sevens and I would teach them about spiritual gifts and I would ask them, what do you think your spiritual gift is? And get them on that journey of, of discovering so that I can help them develop it because eventually I'd love for them to deploy it. All right, that's the goal. But all of those gifts are useful, but we have all these useful gifts, but they'll amount to nothing if we don't use it with charity. All right, the things that we read about, those gifts there, and then he'll further that, he'll, he'll talk more about those gifts that, that edify, they're useful gifts. And God doesn't make any gift that's useless. He makes them all useful, but it's up to us to make them uh, to, to bring them to their full potential if we would just go on that journey of charity. And, and he, he'll go on and, and he'll talk about that in chapter 14, but all of those are greatly ought to be greatly desired and greatly used, but they need to be tempered with charity. You know, the best instruments are only useful in harmony and rhythm. And, and you do it. You have to tune Right, orchestra, you come ahead and you, the, you say, can I get a C, please, ding, and then you tune. Why? Because if you don't tune, you could be playing well, but you're going to sound awful. Even the best instruments, without, if, they're not, if they're not in harmony and rhythm, and our, our gifts are only useful when used together with charity, you know, he warns in, in that chapter there, in chapter 12, verse 25, about schism in the body and, and how we've got to be wary of that. And, you know, our usefulness, what I'm saying, is directly linked to our charity one toward each other. And, you know, we have 
we have these gifts that we use, but they come to no profit. Right? We read it earlier, it profiteth nothing. There's no overall gain. Even in the usage of our spiritual gifts when done without charity, and charity gives edification what it does, it gives us its impetus. And the charity gives the usage of our gift the direction. You know what it is? It's love one toward another. And so without charity, actually what happens is our gifts are ineffectual, but without charity, really when it comes down to it, our edification is not possible. It's just not possible. It, it profiteth nothing. What edification is, is building up. It's meant to profit. In fact, the very reason why God gave the gifts to those in, in are saved is for the very reason of edifying the body of Christ. He didn't give it to you for your own selfish reasons. He's given it to you to be a blessing to the church. And yet what he, he says is that, that when it comes to it, without charity, it profiteth nothing. You know, it's no use having just knowledge. It's no use just having an understanding of the gifts. See, in 1 Corinthians 8.1, he talks about those things, touching things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge. He says we all have knowledge enough to judge. But he says, knowledge puffeth up. And then he makes a contrast, but charity edifieth. You understand that he's saying knowledge, and, and knowledge, when we estimate knowledge, it's a good thing. But he's saying knowledge puffs up. And then in contrast, charity edifies. Charity is the thing that helps us. You know, there's the, the whole argument there in the early parts of 1 Corinthians is the, the weaker versus the stronger brother. And you know, there's, there are those who have you know, in, in a sense, high standards of things who have every argument in the Bible about why you should do this and why you should do that. And there's a strictness in the letter and they can prove to you whichever way why their conviction is this and that and why it is right. What that is, it's knowledge. And you know, he's saying there that actually the one that is stronger has charity. Can, can sometimes overlook the faults of others, give benefit of the doubt, and continue to build someone up. Instead of the knowledge that sometimes just is, is cutting, and knowledge that can be harsh, and knowledge that can amount to just being you puffed up. And so edification is not possible. You imagine a, a church who is devoid of charity. Why the very first time you make a mistake, why the very first time you mispronounce or you get the chapter wrong in the Bible reading, or you mispronounce a name in the Bible, or you come and they're not according to your dress standard, or you come and you look a bit different and, and you, you're a little off kilter in this area or that area, you know, a church devoid of that just suddenly, there's no enduring that. And without charity, then that building process that sometimes takes time and sometimes takes a lot of great grace and patience is not possible. And one of the main functions of charity is to edify or build up. And, 
In fact, the point of our mating together each time is to edify. And he says that in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, Even so, ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. He's saying the very reason why you come together and you're, the usage of your gifts is so important is for the building up of one another. And so without charity, edification is impossible. The, purposes of our, the purpose of our gifts are rendered useless. Okay, the engines aren't firing. What it is, we, can't, we aren't pleasing God. Why? Because God is the one that sets every member, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased Him. And so when we look around and we have this attitude at times that is not charitable, and what that is, is we're denying the God who is the one that has placed every member in their place. And our coming together in edification is according to His pleasing. And so without charity, our edification is rendered impossible. And so we see that. But then lastly, this evening, you know, without charity, our shortcomings are highlighted. And charity is a covering. A covering has the purpose of minimizing what can potentially harm. In 1 Peter 4, 8, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Why? For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Notice what he says there. It, it lines up, doesn't it? The greatest of these is charity. More excellent way. And then he says, above all things have. And this is the scriptures. God wrote it. Could have said anything there. And we, we sometimes fill in the blank there what that is, the ultimate. But you know, this is God speaking and he's saying, you know what the ultimate is? Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. He says, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And, and this isn't talking about sweeping sin under the carpet. This is speaking about how we go about minimizing the effects of sin. It's about recognizing that some things aren't worth highlighting. And, you know, if I could continue to stick with the whole music concept and music illustration, I used to be part of a men's quartet. And we, would, we, had, we had our, our heyday, Brother John, my brother-in-law. We were part of it. He was tenor. I was baritone. We had another fella who's in the States, right? I spoke about him. He was the bass. And we have another one of our men who is the deacon still at Southland. He was our lead. And we had a particular afternoon. It's been a while since we had sung. And actually, at that point, we were actually a quintet. We had added a fifth part. And so we were traveling around a little bit. We, we had our heyday. We had our biggest fans. All of some pastors invited us every single main event. You know, it, it's in, in the IB world, they were pretty hard up, right? But anyway, uh, if they, we were the main attraction. But um, we, uh, we hadn't sung in a while, and we got invited to a church that was just down the road from our church. And what it was, we, it was middle of summer. We had signed up to also play, we had started a, a church cricket team. And so it was hot, we knew that we had this on, and the, the, our pastor really wanted us to be a blessing, so we said, look, we'll do it. Um, 
we played cricket out in the sun all day, and so we got there, and we were just burnt to a crisp, all of us. And to top it all off, our regular pianist couldn't make it. So we had this pianist who, you know, he, he was a good, good player, very, very proficient, but he'd, he had never really played for us. He, we'd practiced a handful of times. And then, to top it all off, they didn't have a piano. We had to borrow a piano, an electric one. And he, he wasn't familiar with it. It was, just, it was just a piano. And so here we were singing. We were the, the guest musicians for this church's meeting. It was a revival meeting. Uh, we had just played cricket all day. We were all burnt to a crisp. We had a, a pianist who was unfamiliar with us, but also was playing a piano he doesn't normally play. All right, so I'm just trying to paint a picture here for you. But we were sitting there. It was our second song. You know, we started off okay. We, we had, I think, at that time, by that time, blown out the cobwebs and we were sitting there, uh, we were standing there, we were up here like, like I, I am right now with the, the five of us, and the, our pianist was on the right somewhere, and he was playing, and somehow when he, he flipped over the page, the folder fell down. Now, that's not the worst part. When it fell down, it pressed the button we didn't know that piano had. It was a DJ button. <laughs> So he went, DJ. How do you recover in a Baptist church? So, you know, I, I lost it. I sat down. John followed me, everyone else. And then the, the lone guy up there, bless his heart, the bass was singing bass solo. As the, as the piano was going, DJ. Oh, man, I'm telling you. Did we need charity? <laughs> and, and the worst part was we had, that was meant to be the slower song. The preacher was coming up next. So talk about preparing the hearts, I'm telling you. But you know, the, that preacher was so gracious. He sort of, you know, he, he joked a little bit and then he said, well, fellas, it could have been worse. And I'm not sure how it could have been worse, but he did say that. And he was very kind to us, and, and what he wanted to do was minimize something that could have been just the worst. He had charity. And, you know, he was gracious, and he saw the funny side, and, I mean, who couldn't see the funny side? But, you know, sometimes we, we can respond to things, and, and without charity, without charity, we, we, can, we can create something that, doesn't have to be. In Proverbs 17, 9, he that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separ separateth very friends. And what charity does, charity does this, it makes big things seem small. And when we practice fervent charity, we are able to contain even the biggest of issues. And again, you've got to know the context here, that the church in Corinth was, was dealing with all manner of issues they, they, you, you read it yourself. It's unbelievable. This, this church was so gifted, but it was so carnal. It, it was just that you'd read all of what had transpired there. But you know what the last, one of the last verses, if not the last verse here in this 
one of the last verses. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14, he says, Let all your things be done with charity. And charity can make big things seem small. Charity can also discern between what's questionable versus what's edifying. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we'll turn to one more place, but so keep your finger there at 1 Corinthians, but 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I met, went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. He says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. So he's saying there's certain things that were being said that weren't edifying. He's saying, rather, give yourself to godly edifying. He says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. And of good conscience and of faith unfeigned, that means real faith. He says, from which some having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. You know what vain jangling is? You know what your, your keys do? I don't have my keys, but you know what? Your, when, you, when you just hear your keys, you know what that is? It's just vain jangling. There's no order. It's just noise. He's saying you give your, don't give yourself to that. He's saying some have swerved. They've turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm, and so he's saying there that actually what they should have been striving for was that not the knowledge of these things that were just vain. He said you should have been striving for the end of the commandment, which is charity out of a pure heart. Charity. And charity can discern between what's questionable versus what's edifying. Charity chooses to bypass what doesn't build up. And it focuses our attention on truth that produces faith. But then, when we think about it, you know, charity, without charity, our shortcomings are highlighted. But, you know, charity will forgive to complete restoration. And here's, here's 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and verse 5, But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. If you remember, if you recall, that there was an immorality that had happened in 1 Corinthians that Paul addresses, and he goes through the steps of that. There was a, to be a separating of that person. In verse 6, sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. So that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So evidently this man had gone through uh, this chastening that was, was God-given, but now was a time to restore him. He says here in verse 8, Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. After the process that God had allowed, there was meant to be love. There was meant to be charity. He says confirm your love toward him, but that didn't come before the brokenness. That didn't come before the grieving that had to happen. 
And the party that caused offense went through the necessary correction. And the result was brokenness and repentance. And Paul's advice in response to that was love. And God sometimes allows correction to come. But I want to say it's never for nothing. It's always to bring humility and brokenness. Remember, it vaunts not not itself. It's not boastful. It's meant to be the opposite of pride, humility. And it reminds me of the story of the prodigal. You know, when you read that story, there's actually two prodigals. The one who wasted his living in the world and the one who wasted his living in the house. Because when that prodigal came back, out in the world, came back to the house, the father's heart was to embrace him. But that son questioned. That son rejected the prodigal that had returned. And what he was, he, he may not have been distanced from his father physically. The son had been distanced from his father in heart. And you know, there's many Christians today who actually, they're not prodigal in the physical sense. They're still in church. They still appear to serve and appear to be part of what God's doing. But in heart, they become prodigal. And what it is, they've not seen the charity of God. They've not seen that God's heart is to embrace the humble through correction. That the completion of that is charity that forgives. And you know, charity has to exist though, because without charity, without charity, we, we tend to highlight things that we don't need to highlight. You know, the Bible tells us that charity is a more excellent way. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, it's, you know, God, when he puts a list together, it's not... It's not for no reason. It's, it's ordered. Right? You believe that? God's God of order, right? And so when he builds on this particular part of Scripture, we see something is, is at the end. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, beside this, giving all diligence, he says, add to your faith. So the basis is faith. If you're here and you've put your faith and trust in Christ, then you can add to that. So he says, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and, and some of us would stop the list there. But he continues, and to godliness, you know you could add to godliness? Brotherly kindness. But you know you can add to brotherly kindness? And to brotherly kindness, charity. Then the Bible puts a full stop. You know why? Because it's the ultimate. You know what the the church needs? The church needs a lot of things. But what the church should strive for is just a life of charity. It's a love, it's a perfect love action. And you know, there's a diligence to that because he says giving all diligence add. And there's a process of that. 
but we have to be diligent about adding charity. You know, again, don't undervalue what God values. And he says it's the more excellent way. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Let all your things be done with charity. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Really, when it comes to it, you, you are love. And Lord, interestingly, you never give yourself this character trait because really, you've reserved it for us as people to work towards and to strive for. And Father, all of us here would do well to just observe in our own lives, Lord, whether charity is there or not. And if not, Lord God, that we would be diligent to seek after it, dear Lord. Lord, it pleases you. It's the more excellent way. Lord, you said it's the bond of perfectness. Lord, it's the ultimate for us as your people. And I pray that you'd help us, dear God, to strive toward that. And I pray, Lord, that, Lord, you'd give us perhaps opportunities in the next couple of days and weeks and months. Lord, to grow in it, to show it, and then, Lord, to rejoice in it when we receive it. And we're glad for it, dear God. I pray that you bless our church, Lord, as we head to our separate ways. I pray that you'd help us to be the church. And, Lord, to just be, be a light wherever we're at this week. Help us, Lord, as we, uh, Lord, strive to, to serve you, strive to live for you. I pray your blessing upon each one. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious name. Church, when we sing I Love You, Lord, let's just sing the first verse and then when we dismiss, we can, we can stand. Why don't we go and stand? Mm-hmm.